This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The overall structure of how we sleep as we age doesn't really change. Even as individuals, it doesn't change as well. But it's the amount that we need in our total sleep cycle or the amount that we need in each stage of our sleep cycle which changes. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about the connection between sleep and aging. We'll discuss planning a harvest theme for your vegetable garden. We'll find out how to minimize the side effects of COVID-19 vaccine jabs. And lastly, we'll talk about adopting eco-conscious habits in the home. But first, a little bit of business. Does the fear of losing control keep you awake at night? Enjoy better sleep on something you can control. The Supreme Adjustable Bed by Ultramatic. Customize your back, leg, neck, and lumbar positions with push-button control for relief of back pain, arthritis, and sleep apnea. The Supreme. Take back control of your life. Try Ultramatic's Supreme Adjustable Bed for 100 nights, risk-free. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. Adar Shah nurtured the rise of Ultramatic, the iconic Canadian brand of adjustable beds and maker of delightful wellness products. He received his bachelor's degree in engineering at Cornell University, graduating magna cum laude in 1999. After graduation, Adarsh joined the Monitor Group, a Cambridge-based strategy consulting company. He worked for them in Toronto, New York, and Mumbai on various corporate strategy, market entry, and merger and acquisition projects. He's a proud Torontonian, having lived here for over 30 years, albeit with a few adventurous years in New York in between. He's the father of two mischievous girls and a caregiver to his happy, healthy, and wine-living parents. Welcome back to the show, Adarsh. How are you? I'm great, enjoying this spring weather. Well, I am too, except people may have noticed it in my voice. My allergies are acting up, which is an entirely different issue and an entirely different show. But otherwise, I'm good. And I find lately, you know, whether I'm good or bad usually is tied to whether or not I've had a good night's sleep, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Do you remember when we could sleep through the night, you know, sometimes clocking in 10 or more hours of sleep, right? Yeah. I have teenagers that like maybe roll out of bed at noon and it's like my my day is half over by noon, right? Because I just turned 55, which means I'm waking up super early. And sleep means different things at different stages of your life, right? Exactly. And you mentioned your teenagers. Well, a lot of people call those the, uh, the golden age for sleep. Yeah. Because somehow they can just keep on sleeping and sleeping. Yeah. But you're right. The reality is over a typical lifespan, the amount of time we spend each day sleeping, it does reduce, you know, and, you know, newborns spend 16 to 20 hours per day sleeping. Well, that would be Uh, the golden age then, wouldn't it? Right. (laughs) I think you may have your stats wrong. Maybe it's the babies that have it right. Anyway, sorry, go on. (laughs) Then that's actually sometimes the golden age for parents, too, because, you know, then then parents don't have to worry about their kids as much. True. But I think new parents know that the reality is not like that. Even with newborns, their sleep is erratic, especially in the first few months. And this is because their circadian rhythm or, you know, effectively their internal clock hasn't been established yet. And even the hormones that control sleep, like melatonin and cortisol, their bodies are not producing them yet. Right. So, you know, then as we go into the next 
stage of infants, you know, they sleep about 12 hours a day. Adolescents sleep uh, about 9 to 10 hours a day. And it's then, it's during this time that sleep becomes more consolidated in a single block. Mm-hmm. You know, those naps are dropped and we tend to sleep more in, in, uh, in single blocks. Right. It's during these early years also that sleep patterns are generally determined by biology, less by sort of lifestyle, but more by biology. Okay. And it's, it's only, you know, as we move into our teenage years and adulthood that our lifestyle really begins to influence our sleep. Yeah, that makes sense. Are, are you going out late at night? You know, what are you doing? Uh, you know, are you doing shift work? Are you cramming at school? All those things, right? Exactly. You know, shift work's a huge disruptor of sleep. Travel, then just the stresses of work and parenthood can affect sleep. But how does that happen? That often happens through affecting our diet and our mental health, which then has implications on our sleep. Okay. What comes next? Well, you know, it's important to realize that it's, you know, we've just been talking about the length of sleep. Right. But as I think we've spoken about before, it's not just length which determines good sleep or better quality sleep. There are some other factors as well. So what are some of those factors that you think are relevant to getting good sleep? Well, I like to use a a mnemonic, which I call SLIM, which uh, stands for, the S stands for starting, Mm -hmm. the L stands for length, the I for intensity, and the M for maintenance. Okay. Those four factors. So the starting factor, that measures how easily you can fall asleep when you first close your eyes. Okay. Or even after some sort of interruption at night. Yep. Length is, of course, the total measure uh, or the total duration of sleep. Are you distinguishing between the deep sleep and REM or overall sleep when you're talking about length? Length is the overall sleep, but you're absolutely right. The next one, intensity, is now the efficiency or the amount of deep sleep that you're getting. And then the last factor is is maintenance, which is our ability to remain sleeping and resist waking up in the middle of the night from either external factors like noise and light or internal factors, you know, from our body that may be mental stress or body pain. Yeah, or having to go to the bathroom, for example, when you reach a certain age, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. So I think, you know, that's why we may we may find people around us, you know, functioning very well, even with less hours of sleep per night. And that's that might be because they're scoring high on those other three factors on their starting factor or the intensity um, and the maintenance. I've always historically been one of those sleepers where I've been known to fall asleep on concrete. I can fall asleep anywhere, anytime, but I don't need a ton of sleep. I usually only get about six or seven hours at most because I can't be in bed that long. I must be one of those hyper-efficient sleepers. That's good. You must be getting a lot done every day. That's great. No, you'd think so. (laughs) When I get done at night, sleeping is one issue. How I waste my day is completely different. That's for another show, Adarsh. Maybe we can (laughs) consult with you on that. I'm just saying I I can get a full rest from six or seven hours typically. That's Um, that's right. You know, I'm similar in that way. And, you know, it's it's interesting because the overall structure of how we sleep as we age, it doesn't really change. And even as individuals, it doesn't change as well. But it's the amount that we need in our total sleep cycle or the amount that we need in each stage of our sleep cycle, which changes. So 
as we age and our and our lifestyles change and how does that impact the quality of sleep? Like what happens physiologically? Right. So we all have this internal sleep clock, right? Yep. You know, some people call it the circadian pacemaker or the circadian rhythm. And that determines when we feel sleepy and when we wake up. Mm-hmm. So we've all got that and we'll always have that as we go through our lives. In addition, we all have we all have and we'll go through four main stages of sleep during a sleep cycle. Okay. We'll go through that, you know, REM sleep, which is uh, REM stands for rapid eye movement. Yes. And that's often associated with dreaming. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go through three stages of non-REM sleep. That's when our eyes are not in that rapid eye movement stage. And that's when our brains go into a lower level of activity. And we slowly move from a light sleep to a deeper and deeper sleep. Mm-hmm. So we, we have a sleep cycle and we have those four main stages of sleep. But what it changes is the amount of time we need in each stage. So how does that change as we age? So children spend about 50 minutes in each sleep cycle, in each of those, you know, in the, in the total of those four stages, mm-hmm. while adults typically spend 90 minutes in a sleep cycle. Hmm. So during the night, you know, a child will go through many more sleep cycles than we will go through as adults. And you can imagine if, if each sleep cycle is 90 minutes and we go through four of those, well, you're probably going through four of those, you know, because uh, then four times 90 minutes is approximately six hours. Right. So, you know, why this changes is because we need different types of development in our brain during different stages of life. Yes. And REM sleep is, is thought to assist quite strongly in brain development. So unsurprisingly, newborns and infants typically spend twice as much time in REM sleep than adults do. Right. And then our slow wave sleep or the kind of deep sleep, restorative sleep slowly reduces as we age. Right. Which is why it takes us longer, our bodies longer to recuperate from things because we, we're not getting as much rest from our sleep and recovery from our sleep. Right. That's right. The other factor, you know, biologically, which uh, affects our sleep can be hormones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about it with newborns that they start developing melatonin and cortisol in those first couple of months. But as we're as we move into this teenage years and especially women, when they enter the menopause stage, hormones can affect sleep. But by themselves, they're not a major factor. It's the, it's the fluctuations that can really affect sleep. Sure. When those hormone levels spike or drop, that's when uh, they can uh, you know, have people more vulnerable to sleep problems. Right. It's more, it's more disruptive when you have the changes in the hormones. That's right. So would you say that age affects the quality of sleep or is it vice versa? You know, it's so interesting because I believe you know, that... It's the opposite. I believe that our quality of sleep affects our age. I agree with you, actually. Right, and it's yeah. not it's it's not numerical age, but it's how it's age as measured by how old we feel. Correct. And so we we feel old when we're not as energetic, or we have more wrinkles, or we have more more body aches, and really, those are those those can be controlled in many ways by improving our sleeping process. You mean exactly. If we can improve the quality of our sleep, we can address some of those issues with with regards to skin health 
or mental stress or body aches. Are there any scientific studies that sort of help ground what we're talking about here? Absolutely. And, and so now the research is really coming to the forefront. Uh, people are realizing that sleep does affect different uh, health issues. And the latest research comes from, uh, from the University of College of London. It was a 40-year study, and they examined about 8,000 people in Britain. And their analysis has shown that people that were getting less sleep, so people that were getting about or less than six hours of sleep, mm-hmm. were at greater risk of developing dementia than those who were getting more than seven hours. Hmm. And that's cumulative sleep, right? Not necessarily at night, but like sleep over the day, correct? That is in a single block, six hours in a single block. Oh, okay. So if that was, you know, if that was made up of a couple of naps here and there, then that would not count. Got it. Okay. So, you know, we have to, I think, if we believe that sleep can affect how old we feel, then we probably want to know kind of, what tips there are to feel younger. Yeah, I was going. To, I was wondering if there's any happy news for us, Adarsh. What do you have for us? I believe so, absolutely. So, I mean, sleeping on a more regular basis with fewer interruptions, having a more stable temperature, room temperature. There are a number of different ways we can control our sleep and improve our sleep quality. You know, one of the ways that we can look at is uh, your environment. Yep. Just your, your actual, your bedroom. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Use a thermostat to keep the room temperature as constant as possible and ensure that using a mattress that keeps the sleep surface as neutral as possible. Mm-hmm. The same thing with light. You could get blackout blinds that keeps light out and keeps it dark throughout the, your sleep cycle. Yep. The other factor you could improve are your pre-bedtime habits. Yeah, that's a big one. Right? Avoid caffeine or avoid alcohol too close to bedtime. Uh don't use a device or don't watch TV right before going to bed and uh, try to eat at least three hours before going to bed. I was going to say, I know it's an old wives tale, but whenever I have the late night nauseous, I have some bizarre dreams and unsettled sleep. So I'm a big believer in that one. <laughs> That's interesting. Sometimes you want to have those bizarre dreams. Yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Some of my dreams, I don't think you'd want to have, but yes, I hear you. <laughs> but uh, absolutely. Me- mental health is, is yeah. a big factor, right? And yeah, of course, we need to escape the daily uh, grind. What are we doing that pre-bedtime period to improve our mental health? A lot of people swear by meditation, yep. either before they go to bed or when they wake up. I think even making sure that your your bedroom is sort of like a sanctuary is relevant, right? Like if you have too many intrusions, if your bedroom be, starts becoming your office or your TV room or the communication center of your house, it actually makes it harder to sleep. Yes, absolutely. You know, trying to remove distractions from your bedroom is critically important as you want to try to bring yourself into a calm stage just as just before you go to bed. We have time for one last quick tip. Do you have one? Exercise is a great way to get your body ready for a good night's rest. Physical movement gets the blood flow going, gets the oxygen levels higher in your, in your body, and gets your heart healthier such that when you get to bed, your heart feels comfortable moving into a slower level of heart rate to allow you to sleep longer. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come back again next month? 
Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Fantastic. That was Adarsh Shah. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss picking a harvest theme for your veggie garden on The Tonic. (sighs) Does the fear of losing control keep you awake at night? Enjoy better sleep on something you can control. The Supreme Adjustable Bed by Ultramatic. Customize your back, leg, neck, and lumbar positions with push-button control for relief of back pain, arthritis, and sleep apnea. The Supreme. Take back control of your life. Try Ultramatic's Supreme Adjustable Bed for 100 nights, risk-free. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living in a perfectly healthy body. Reclaim your health, cleanse your body, and extend your life. Activation makes all this possible by providing you with the best products for your best health. Activation Products can elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. No matter how old or how young you are, it's their mission to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a perfectly healthy body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to ActivationProducts.com and start your journey on reclaiming your health. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed. She's passionate about the connection between human health and nature and believes that regenerative gardens can help create food security and broaden ecological diversity. Melissa has been featured on Farmer's Footprint in Toronto Life and has been a guest speaker at Allen Gardens and has been a well-received garden expert online and in person. For more information, you can visit thegoodseedto.com. Welcome to the show, Melissa. How are you? Thanks so much, Jamie. I'm great. How are you? I'm great because I spent yesterday in the garden planting, trying to source everything. It's not easy this year, but trying to source everything from my raised gardens because we grow herbs and vegetables and such. And I like getting high quality plants. And that was a bit of a challenge, but it was a nice, beautiful day. So that's all good. Well, it's a great time to be putting edible gardening plants in the ground or in raised beds. So it sounds like you're right on schedule. So for those who don't know, what are the benefits of planting an edible garden? And in particular, one with a theme, because that's why you're here today. Yeah. So a themed garden really allows you to design your edible garden with a purpose in mind. And that purpose being the best part of the garden, which is the harvest and obviously eating. Mm -hmm. So when I say themed garden, I mean, why not design your edible garden around like a finished product that you like to eat? So maybe you start your morning off with smoothies. So you do a smoothie garden or perhaps, you know, you have Taco Tuesday nights in your house. And so you do a salsa garden. Oh, wow. So you're saying like grow the stuff together that you would use as the ingredients. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think for first-time gardeners especially, it helps conceptualize the process and sort of gives a purpose and a direction to the planting scheme. 
Yeah, because I find with my garden, you know, I, I can pull ingredients here or there as, as they're ready for harvest, but it doesn't necessarily work coherently or I'm sort of stretching to make things work coherently. So like I've had mustard green and wild black raspberry salad. I'm not sure it's a natural fit, but I, <laughs> but, you know, that's sort of what comes up around, you know, this time of year in a few weeks. So how can you ensure an abundant harvest when you're planting this way? Like what are some of the things to think about? Well, I think the first thing to think about is soil, great plants start with really healthy soil. So especially if you're an urban gardener and you're growing in a container or a raised bed that might not be open below to the soil, you want to create a really great ecosystem. So my number one tip is to start with really good container mix if you're container gardening. So something that contains a good amount of perlite so that it retains moisture. And then mix in some compost or some worm castings. And Mm -hmm. that's going to give you broad spectrum nutrition to feed that smoothie garden or that salsa garden. I actually put worms into my raised gardens because there wouldn't have been access to them without me physically putting them. Do you recommend having worms in your raised gardens? Yes, we really want to broaden anything that's in the soil food web. So the more we can add soil biodiversity, worms, all sorts of things, like we're really helping the plants grow stronger, better root systems, and that's going to translate into a great harvest. So that's the initial planting, and and I'm sure, you know, there are drainage issues that we need to consider too. But as we replenish from year to year, like what's your protocol? So if you had a raised garden and and maybe you've been growing some herbs or something, but you wanted to try a smoothie garden, before you did that this year, is there any sort of soil replenishment ideas that you would have for people? Yes, definitely. So a smoothie garden is super easy because you can start a lot of those plants early in the season, like your kale, mint things that are hardy to the frost. But before you start, right, we want to amend that soil. And amending simply means, you know, we want to improve. So I really suggest going to a reputable garden center, buying some organic worm castings. It's a really broad spectrum nutrient. It's, you know, it's worm poop. (laughs) So you've got that happening with your worms. But this just gives your garden a really great hit. You're going to mix that into your soil, and then that's what you'll plant into. Do you use composting at all to help replenish? Definitely. Compost great. I think sometimes in the city especially, we have a harder time composting in smaller spaces. So if you don't have your own compost, I would say the worm casting is probably your next best bet. Okay. So this type of garden that you're talking about, a salsa garden or an herb garden or a smoothie garden... Can you plant that? Like, Is there sort of like a baseline amount of space that you would need? Yes. So really, we want to see a nice volume of soil before you plant something out. That gives you, again, great root development. So, you know, no little window boxes. Let's go to the garden center, buy a nice big terracotta planter or a grow bag, something that's at least three gallons, mm-hmm. and that's going to have at least a foot in diameter of space to plant into. A friend of mine just got as a birthday present this planter. It's all self-contained. It, it comes with sort of like a hinge. It almost looks like a, the mechanism is like a barbecue. The, the top hinges over and it's got netting in it so the sun can permeate but not completely. You can sort of irrigate by attaching a hose to it. Have you seen those self-contained gardens? Yeah, that's a veg pod and those are great. I actually have some clients who have four on the top of a carport. So they really give you some great space and that netting is very helpful because it can help prevent things like your leafy greens getting damaged by leaf miner or cabbage moss. So it's a great product. Okay. 
So here we are towards the end of the month. And, you know, the big question for me is when do I put the plants into the ground? Are we too late at the end of May to do this or, or is there still time? No, actually, we're not late at all. So for those heat lovers, so say you're planting a salsa garden, you've got tomatoes and basil, maybe some jalapeno peppers. Those are heat loving, almost tropical plants. And we want to see our overnight temperatures sort of hover around 10 degrees Celsius before we put those plants outside. Garden centers will stock them very early and it's tempting to start really early. But I think, you know what? End of May, beginning of June, those plants are going to thrive. They're going to have three really hot months to grow and produce. Okay. So if we start planting the gardens that you're suggesting, these these smoothie gardens or vegetable gardens, what kind of maintenance are we looking at through the summer? Are we tethered to our gardens for the, for the whole year or can we leave them for a week or two? If, for example, we were smart enough to book a cottage. <laughs> That's a great question. So one of the things I always suggest when you're starting a garden is to think about the amount of time you can commit to it. So certain themed gardens are going to take more maintenance. I'm thinking about like a larger tomato plant with a pepper plant, so the salsa garden. And certain themed gardens are going to take less time. So an herb-based garden or even like a tea garden, for instance, are going to be able to sustain over longer periods of time with less maintenance. Now, you'll still need consistent water. But those are great if you are sort of a lazier garden or an absentee gardener. <laughs> or maybe maybe a beginner who doesn't want to maybe commit the time just yet, right? Totally. So when you say a tea garden, you don't mean like pico or black tea. Are you, are you talking about herbal teas or what do you mean? Yeah. So tea gardens uh, can be comprised of some really fun plants. So think mint, lavender, chamomile, lemon balm, lemon verbena, all sorts of different herbs that you can harvest and put fresh in hot water, but you can also dry them and save them to sort of enjoy that tea all year long. Yeah, I would say the one thing about mint is once once it gets in your garden, you really have to be <laughs> diligent because then it just becomes the entire garden if you're not careful, right? So. That's right. So mint and lemon balm should definitely be done in containers or in pots even. But they do make for a great garnish, a great mojito. Yep. I totally agree on that point. So for a smoothie garden, are you talking about planting some greens as well? So like I'm trying to conceptualize what we can grow in our climate that you'd want to put into a smoothie. What kind of stuff do you put in? Yeah, so what makes a really excellent smoothie that you sort of homegrown smoothie is the tenderness of the greens you're going to harvest. So you are growing the food, you're harvesting it at peak ripeness, and that means you get to control the size at which you're harvesting your greens. So think of baby spinach, baby kale. Um, The the consistency and the tenderness of those leaves are going to make for a really naturally sweet smoothie. Okay. And the thing about uh, lettuces and greens is everybody thinks you need direct sun, but they actually do pretty well if you have a little bit of shade. At least that's my experience. That's very true. They do best in a little bit of shade and sort of in the cooler shoulder seasons. So definitely lettuce, arugula, spinach, bok choy, leafy greens like that are great in the spring and then again in the fall. They don't love the direct hot sun. So you could really plant two successive smoothie garden in the spring and then you could have like a Roma tomato sauce garden in the summer and then go back to a smoothie garden in the fall. I didn't even think of that. So you're saying like, so what do you do? Do you pull the plants out or do you just like, are you clearing your entire garden or are you planting in between your, I guess your smoothie lettuces and greens? How how does that work? (laughs) Well, it really depends on your space. So I suggest 
for the herb portion of whatever you're doing. If it's a perennial herb, like oregano for a sauce garden, you can put that in a pot and keep it there year over year or in ground if Mm -hmm. you can. We don't want to rip those out. But uh, definitely lettuces and spinaches and even baby kale, you could sow that mid-April, let it grow, and then by end of May, out it comes and in go those heat lovers. If you want to do like a a hot sauce garden, you could have different kinds of hot peppers, for instance, Mm -hmm. so you could transition into that. Okay. I just find like, like, so for example, with my mustard greens, once, if they get to seed, you're going to have almost like a second round of of greens coming up towards the end of the summer. So I guess my question was, do you pull everything out or, or do you let them seed and then they'll come back later? Uh, definitely, I do remove them. I okay. think that a lot of the greens, when they get a little bit older, are a little more bitter yeah. and can sometimes change in texture. We're all, you know, none of us are on a farm. So we don't really have the luxury of letting things go to seed and using that space. Let's yeah. turn the garden over and do something more productive. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come back again soon? I would love to. Thank you so much. That was Melissa Cameron. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn how to minimize the side effects of COVID-19 vaccine jabs on The Tonic. Looking for natural supplements to boost your immunity? New Roots Herbal can help. Whether it's rebuilding your immunity after an illness or simply maintaining a healthy immune system year-round, New Roots Herbal is here for you with a wide range of proven formulations. Discover Protector, Astralgus 8000, Ultra Zinc, and their best-selling Vitamin C8. If you're looking to build your immunity from within, look no further than New Roots Herbal, available exclusively at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Amy Harris-Nuon is a double board certified integrative and interventional psychologist. She's an entrepreneur, author, speaker, and master success coach. She's an expert in integrative health and believes in a holistic approach treating the body and the mind. And she also hosts a radio show, Mind Over Matters, which airs weekly in Chicagoland. Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? Thank you, uh, Jamie. I'm doing really well. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So this is timely. It's important for us. Your government has done a much better job of getting the jabs out to the population. We're sort of lagging behind still. So this topic is is very germane. There, most Canadians have not had their second jab. I would say more than half have had their first jab, but we're still sort of rolling out. And then there are those you know, who may not be thinking they want it because they're hearing about side effects and symptomology. So I was hopeful today that we could discuss how to prevent the symptoms which actually come from the jabs. Are you up for that? I'm totally up for that. Let's do it. So what are the types of extreme reactions that people are reporting in terms of jab symptoms? Yeah. So if we're talking about extreme reactions, you know, we can think of anaphylactic reaction, an allergic reaction, 
certainly I think we're all familiar with the blood clot reactions from the Johnson & Johnson, but the, those are very, they're extreme and they're very rare. In fact, I think of the millions of people receiving the J&J vaccination, only 13 cases, you know, have uh, presented themselves. So they're absolutely rare. More common side effects are, are like flu-like symptoms, you know, numbing, tingling, redness, soreness, little aches, some pains, maybe some fevers and chills, but the extreme reactions are really they're really rare. You know, in terms of psychological, emotional reactions, we're seeing more of that. People are just really anxious about getting the shot as well as whether or not they're going to have any side effects. Okay. So to what extent are these reactions happening? And maybe, you know, some of those symptomologies are actually to be expected, aren't they? Oh, for sure. Yeah. The mild side effects, the headache, the fatigue, the achiness, fever, nausea, those are pretty common. You can mitigate against those, you know, by taking just some really, really easy steps, drinking 10 to 20 more ounces of water the day before, the day of, and the day after, for example. You know, high doses of vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, making sure you get a good night's sleep, for example. If you've got pain in the arm, you know, you can alleviate that with, you know, uh, pain relievers such as Tylenol. There are a lot of things you can do mentally and emotionally, though, to, you know, prevent the COVID side effects. Uh, field of psychoneuroimmunology, that's that, that study that looks at the mind-body interaction. There are some excellent interventions for, you know, warding off side effects. You know, I've got several clients here at our practice done that, uh, you know, mindfulness meditation, you know, prayer. We've all heard of, you know, the countless cases of prayer creating spontaneous healing, breathing techniques. It's interesting to note, even a wide smile during the jab will blunt the pain by up to 50%. Tai Chi, exercise, social support, distraction, all of those things, you can literally ward off most of the side effects by having, you know, a focus of of mindfulness and and other, you know, techniques like that. Um, But for the extreme reactions, again, if somebody's going to have an extreme reaction, it's usually going to happen within 15 minutes of getting the shot. Again, those are really, really rare. And that's why they have you stay after for at least 15 to 30 minutes. And those really are occurring in people with immunocompromised health conditions, you know, and people that have a previous uh, history of anaphylactic shock. Okay. You touched upon a lot of possibilities. So if you're seeing people in practice and, and, you know, you're hearing that they're going to get the jab, what sort of things, practically speaking, can they do to help prevent potential symptomology? Maybe you can walk us through a few of them. Yeah. So from a practical perspective, avoid alcohol before and after you know, so that's the day before, the day of, and after. Definitely overdo the water prior as well as after 10 to 20 more ounces. Um, you can take things like curcumin, as I said, vitamin D, vitamin D, or vitamin C, B, and zinc, Tylenol. Be well rested the night before, the night of. If you've got soreness, put an ice pack on your arm. Definitely avoid strenuous activities. If you're prone to, you know, uh, breakouts like hives, or itching, you can take a mild antihistamine like a Benadryl. Certainly, relaxation of your arm prior to the shot. Believe it or not, that reduces pain significantly. Exercise, anything that can relieve your stress symptomatically is going to be helpful. Social support, distraction is a really, really big deal. The mind can only focus best on one thing. So, you know, if you're focused on having a really good experience, you're probably going to have a much better experience. And as I said, breathing techniques help, you know, just the slow in and the slow out. 
mindfulness meditation has been shown to significantly reduce stress as well as side effects. And uh, like I said, Tai Chi, again, social support, play. If you need to just rest afterwards, rest afterwards, you know, not uh, plan on maybe taking the morning or the afternoon off of the shot at least. So some good practical steps. So there's nothing as far as you've read or you're aware of in terms of side effects that should be really be preventing people from getting this vaccine. Yes, there are people no. who are susceptible and you could have those extreme reactions. But for the vast majority of us, none of these side effects are, are really in and of themselves a reason not to have the vaccine, right? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. They're reasonable. They're, they're the same side effects you might experience from getting a flu shot. And they're, they're transient, you know, one, two, maybe three days. But again, unless you're someone with, a, you know, an immune compromised situation or history of anaphylactic reactions, you know, if you have side effects, they're going to be mild and they're going to go away. I would say, you know, if, if getting the vaccination helps you have more peace of mind, if it helps you feel safer, by all means. What should we do if we happen to suffer any of these side effects? And we're not talking about the extreme ones now, but do you have any advice okay. on, on how to deal with a sore arm or the fatigue or, oh, or the tiredness? Sure. Yeah, for sure. So the fatigue, just honestly take it easy. Just let your body get some rest. You know, side effects are an indication that your body is, is actually is as strange as it sounds responding well to the vaccination it's it's helping your body build up antibodies so just take it easy like i said take you know take time to really be well hydrated if the soreness is really unbearable take a pain reliever like tylenol you know they jokingly refer to it as vitamin t <laughs> um, you know put some ice where the soreness is but if again if you've got soreness in the arm too try and just keep it in motion you know, if you just let it kind of hang there, you're more prone to notice the soreness. Just working around a little bit, as I said, avoid strenuous activities. Focus on staying busy if you have enough energy. Obviously, if you're fatigued, just relax. But focus on uh, staying busy if you can. You know, it's a good time to take your mind off it. And, uh, you know, if you are having any moderate symptoms, which most people don't, but they can progress into more severe symptoms, you know, again, usually in older people, people with chronic medical conditions, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, those kind of things, take it easy. But for the more mild side effects, you know, uh, just remind yourself they're, that they're transient and, uh, you know, they're going to pass for sure. And uh, most people would say that the side effects are a good trade-off for being vaccinated. You mentioned moderate effects, which might sort of progress into something more serious. So for those who may be suffering from, from side effects, can we sort of define what are some of the side effects that might be a little bit more serious that you might want to keep an eye on so that you, you may spring into action, i.e. going to the hospital or calling you know, your doctor or healthcare provider just to let them know where things are at? Yeah, for sure. Let me just make a disclaimer that uh, I'm not a physician, yep. but if you are having some more of those moderate side effects, these are side effects that are lasting longer than a few days. You know, extreme soreness, you know, uh, fatigue that turns into extreme fatigue, you know, any kind of swelling that's just not going away or any significant fevers or chills that aren't going away after a day or two, you absolutely want to, you know, get in with your physician. Uh, better to just have it checked out. Again, you know, have peace of mind. But, you know, most people, like I said, most people aren't having side effects. If they are, they're mild. But if they're lasting longer than a few days, they're starting to become more pronounced. Definitely get in to see your doctor. Okay. What are some mindfulness or psychological techniques that we can use if we're, if we're feeling stressful about the situation? 
Yeah, so thanks, uh, Brant and Jamie. The first thing I'd say is focus on your deep breathing. You know, it's central to everything. So deep breathing is the one thing to learn first. Just inhale deeply, hold it for a few seconds, and exhale. You know, and if you need to use a word to help you focus, it be peace or health or something, something positive. And then second, you know, do what you can to elicit a relaxation response. Um, relaxation is the ultimate antidote to stress. Okay, so 10 to 20 minutes, just focus on relaxing your body head to toe. Certainly, I'm a big fan of meditation with guided imagery. If, if people are worried about not being able to meditate, you know, maybe use a guided med- meditation with, with some imagery of health and healing or relaxation. Mindfulness, of course, focusing on being in the present, whether you're reading poetry, walking in nature, cooking, gardening. Yoga and Tai Chi are fantastic. The mind-body exercises incorporate breath control, meditation, movement, stretch, and then, of course, positive thinking, right? That is the biggest thing is positive thinking. You know, it's often said, if you know, whether you think you can or think you can't, either way you're right. And if you're focused on how you're going to feel after your vaccination, if you're focused on, you know, feeling like you're going to be stronger and healthier, then absolutely you really are. That sounds like great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, it's my great pleasure, Jamie. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you, listeners, as well. That was Dr. Amy Harris-Nuon. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to adopt eco-conscious habits in the home on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. NutriPure is a Canadian company which formulates and manufactures natural health supplements over and above industry standards. Since 1989, it set itself apart by providing a line of products that not only reduce symptoms, but target the causes of specific health conditions. In addition to its offering of superior products, NutriPure has always been there for its clientele with around-the-clock customer service led by health professionals. Talk to their experts on social media about their stress and anxiety product, Relax LT, containing magnesium, L-theanine, Skullcap, Linden, and Chamomile. NutriPure, your health is their commitment. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Candace Best has over 20 years of public relations and marketing communications experience, including with uh, Canada's tier one companies in the financial and telecom sectors, before starting her own agency, Best PR. 
Candice has led PR for a range of lifestyle brands in beauty, fashion, food and beverage, health and wellness, and travel. And today, Best PR focuses exclusively on serving purpose-driven, planet-conscious companies with a mission of elevating impact towards a more sustainable future. She's a champion for BIPOC communities and is committed to social impact initiatives aligned with sustainable development goals, aiming to create a better and fairer world by 2030. Welcome to the show, Candice. How are you? I'm well, Jamie. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's great to be here. So a lot of people kind of want to do the right thing. We'll call it the right thing. And they want to make changes for whatever reason. They've already made their decision that they want to be more green, more eco-conscious. What I'd like to do today with your blessings is to talk about the types of things that we can do. Does that make sense? It absolutely, it does. So let's start. Climate change seems like a huge issue. And, you know, for people to do what they can, I guess it's the little incremental things that we can do in the home. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I think often we think, you know, because it is such a grand issue that tackling it at the individual level can seem overwhelming and that they're, you know, that what I'm doing at home, what kind of impact is that going to make? But indeed, it does make a big impact. Little things add up over time. And certainly what we're doing at home personally often influences those within our families, within our communities, our neighbors. So there are a number of things we can do at home. I think one of the very first things we can do is sort of take stock of our consumption habits overall. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just sort of stopping and sort of assessing what we're buying, what we're using, what we're throwing away, that really gives us a sense to sort of stop and look at it of like, oh, gosh, and and sometimes there are really easy things we can find to pull back on or to switch out. So let's talk about some of those. So once you've assessed your consumption, what are some of the areas that you typically see people making those changes in? Like, what comes next? Well, I think for a lot of people, you know, single-use plastics have been high on the radar for for quite some time. We hear a lot about that. I, Mm -hmm. I come from an era where, you know, growing up, water bottles, plastic water bottles weren't even a thing. And then all of a sudden we got into, you know, buying water. Right. So something like as simple as that, as shifting that habit can have a, a huge impact. We can look at it across the board if we think of just our gross, you know, what's in our grocery basket. And uh, we can start taking things out and choosing things with either better packaging. Mm-hmm. And certainly a lot of companies are moving in that uh, direction based on consumer demand and also those companies doing the right thing. And in some cases, no packaging. Do we really need to buy cucumbers wrapped in plastic? Probably not. Yeah. And I would suggest, no, those vegetables are grown, if you will, with a natural protection. And so having that extra plastic is just not necessary. Okay. One of the big ones, I think, are sort of home cleaning supplies where, you know, maybe you've bought at the supermarket, but then there are options rather than just replacing, you know, the spritzer. There are different ways to do that, right? Yes, certainly cleaning products are a great place to start or to expand sort of your, you know, reducing consumption habits. There are a lot of refill options now, which is really exciting. We're seeing certainly in some of the larger cities in Canada, more and more of these sort of package-free shops. Uh, refill option shops opening up and offering consumers an option to go uh, and actually refill. We also have just better packaging options. So you maybe you buy the product first and then you buy something with much uh, less packaging to refill that. 
I go to things too, like laundry. A couple years ago, I replaced my laundry detergent with what are little strips. I have a subscription that comes every three months, so it's so like no brainer. You don't even have to think about it. It sort of shows up just when you think it's gonna, you know, about to run out. Right. And they're just little strips they tear off, and it's like it always amazes me when this arrives in the mail, Jamie, because it's just an envelope. I'm like, wow, like all the like, whether it's, you know, boxes of detergent or more commonly now sort of plastic bottles, Mm -hmm. that's a huge difference. You know, they often say if we were to sort of have to pile our recycling and or garbage in our own backyards, we would be, you know, frightened at what we would see by the end of a year. So just think about those laundry detergent bottles alone. I think that's a huge, huge difference. When you were mentioning about say, sort of taking stock of consumption, the first thing that came to mind is like the food that you throw away. Are you the same way? Oh my gosh. I just, you know, I think we've gotten a lot into, certainly in the Western world, into sort of this bulk buying mindset. You know, it's the buy one, get one free. It's larger packaging. Right. Often we just buy things we just don't need. And, you know, the UN actually came out with a new report earlier this year on food waste being greater than was previously estimated. We're close to over a billion tons globally. In Canada, we waste approximately 79 kilograms of food in the average home, and that's higher than even the average American on par, pretty close to what's happening in the UK. But there's significant difference can be made in sort of food waste, whether that's, you know, buying too much because we're bulk buying, or just looking at at produce consumption. Certainly, you know, summertime when farmers markets open up, and we can be sort of closer to um, the purchase of of what we're buying and, and when we're eating it, as opposed to sort of bulking up and, and filling up our fridges and ending up like throwing out. I'm guilty of that. You know, when you go in and nothing hurts me more now than to sort of like open something up and see something rotten and have to throw it out. Because right. that is, yeah, we, we are significant contributors in Canada where there's actually quite strong and detailed data for that 79 kilogram per household. If you think of 79 kilograms of food, that's a lot of food uh, multiplied by the number of Canadians. I think the real issue is, is whether you get family members to eat leftovers and and sort of go for that fruit that isn't like, you know, maybe it's five days since you brought it home or seven days and it doesn't quite look as nice as it did. Like it's, you have to sort of condition family members to go for that food first before the new food that you're bringing in because then that's when it gets wasted, right? Like if in comparison to something that's brand spanking new, you're probably going to pick the brand spanking new because it just looks more appetizing maybe, you know? Totally. The leftovers are key. Things that you're right, you know, we've sort of come to sort of like a perfect looking apple or, you know, vegetable. And in fact, sometimes it's just, you know, peel the carrot and all of a sudden below what's sort of outside doesn't look absolutely perfect is a gorgeous and tasty carrot that did not need to be thrown away. Right. Or if your vegetables are looking ragged, maybe it's time to make soup out of them than, rather than salad, right? And then you can hide a lot of the blemishes, you know, in the soup. As oh, well. yeah. I love following. There's a guy, Max Lamana. He's got at Lex Lamana on Instagram. He's mm-hmm. a young and he just comes up with all these amazing food waste and ways to use things that you might think you're throwing away, like the tops of carrots, for example. It's amazing what can be done with those and just sort of exploring this. I find it really exciting to kind of get into uh, new ways to use food that we just sometimes don't think about. And you're right, it's just creating new habits. How does growing your own food fit into all this? Oh, you know what? Over the last, you know, year and a bit that we've been in a pandemic, we've really seen sort of what 
highlighted sort of what food supply issues, what that supply issue, and we're also home more. So I think many more people are sort of deciding to literally dig in and grow their own food. And I think that's really exciting. I think it's sort of, certainly when their kids at home, it teaches them where their food comes from, how it's made. And that's a real kind of disconnect for everybody. And in, certainly in the Western world, the sort of understanding where food comes from, what goes into growing it. Sometimes if you've taken that time to grow it, you sort of, you not only appreciate it more, but maybe you sort of don't throw it out as soon as you might have because you're like, ah, all the work that went into this. So I think that um, we are seeing an uptick in interest in gardening, which is great. I've seen a lot of community gardens pop up here in Toronto, even just uh, people in their backyards and sharing that food with neighbours. And I think that's so wonderful because it's a real uh, community builder as well. Yeah. So if we can't do the food thing, or if we already are doing the food thing, there are simple little things that you could do that sort of add up. And it could be as simple as just unplugging your devices, right? Oh, my goodness. That is one for me that I never thought about. I was the person, you know, guilty of, for example, leaving my laptop uh, charging overnight. I didn't realize what a big impact that has. We just, you know, unplug when electronics are not in use, that has a huge impact. And imagine over multiple households just in your own neighborhood, far less your city, far less, you know, the country overall. We can make a big difference just by unplugging our electronics when not in use. We have time for one more question, and and that is I'm, I'm going to leave it open to you. I want you to tell the listeners one tip or takeaway that we haven't covered already that you really want them to know. Well, I think we've all, Jamie, known uh, for a long time, reduce, reuse, recycle, right? The the three R's. And certainly those are relevant and obviously reduce being number one, then reuse, recycle. I think, you know, two other R's I'd like to bring in for people to consider are refuse. Is this necessary? Do I need it? And reimagine. How can I take what I already have? For example, something in your wardrobe get it tailored, take it to a seamstress, get it remade into something. That goes a long way, and again, into shifting habits, but also reinvigorating what we may already have. We might not always need to buy something new. That sounds like fantastic advice. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Will you come back again soon? I would love to, Jamie. This is certainly, I'm passionate about this topic, and I'm passionate about the idea that people can make little changes and they make a big impact well let's talk about some more little changes next month yeah sounds great fantastic that was candace best thanks to all my wonderful guests adar shah melissa cameron dr amy harris nuon and candace best and thank you all for listening to the tonic you can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes contact information for our guests and links at the tonic.ca To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The May-June issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.